0: Well, good morning. It's great to be worshiping with you today. A couple of things before I start the message. Uh, You've seen on the news this Octomom story, you know, the woman who had uh, eight little babies and she's got six at home. And one of the questions comes up in our mind is how in the world would you care for eight babies at once? And if you've been a parent, you understand the challenges of diapers and nursing and feedings and on and on the list goes. Now, a number of years ago, when I first started pastoring, I said, you know, to myself, in the church I was in in Chicago, Lord, if you gave us, oh, let's say a dozen new baby Christians this year, how would we care for them? Or let's dream a little bigger. Lord, if you gave us 50 new Christians in this church, and there were only about 50 to 80 people in the church at the time, you know, if we doubled with new new believers, would we be able to take care of them? Or an even bigger dream. Let's say we had several hundred people come to faith in Christ this year. Would we be able to feed them, change them, take care of them so they actually grew up to be mature Christians? Or would they just die on the vine? You know what I'm asking? And I, I've struggled with that over the years. And a number of years ago, when I was reading some of Rick Warren's material, he talked about the purpose-driven church and had that idea of the, of the baseball diamond, and as I began to study what Rick was saying, I said, you know, that is one answer to the question of how we would take care of two Christians or 200 Christians if God should give us some new believers. And I want to say a word about Class 101 and Class 201, because the reality is we expect every person who's involved in life at First Baptist to go around the ball diamond. Why do we do that? Because it's a, it's a way to help you grow up in Jesus Christ, to become a mature Christian and not stay a baby. Base one is membership. We talk about the essentials of Christianity, salvation, baptism, church membership. In the New Testament, there was no such thing as a Christian who didn't belong to a church. It just was not heard of. And so we think every person ought to belong to a local body of Christ. That's what God had in mind when he started the church. So class 101 helps you with that. If you haven't been through it, I encourage you to join us today. Joyce and I will teach it at 3 o'clock here. Then, class 201 is what I like to call the habits of healthy Christians. If you're a strong, mature follower of Jesus, you do certain things. There are some essential things that you do. Just like the racers in the marathon, there are things they do and don't do so that they can run. And Class 201 is to introduce you to some essential activities or habits of healthy Christians. And so that's another class you take. Then class 301 comes along a little later, and that's uh, we call that uh, the spiritual formation class or what is the shape of your ministry, and it helps you to understand your gifts. So just a little word. If you haven't done class 101, we'd love to see you today. If you haven't been through 201, Eddie would love to see you today. I encourage you to just set aside this afternoon and, and spend it with us. Now, next week, I'm kind of excited about um, a guest that is going to be here via video. Some of us know Sarah Jimenez. She's a member of our church, has been very active here, but she's been 17 months up in the Sophia Lynn Convalescent Center. She can't get out of bed, and I'll explain that next week. But we interviewed her up there, and we're going to have a video to show you next week. So Ted and I are kind of excited about this, encourage you to be back next Sunday. Now, this morning we are back in um, our study of the miracles, and we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 17 in just a moment. I invite you to turn there with me. But I want to begin by asking you a question. Have you succumbed to the encroachment of entitlement? In my first congregation, our next door neighbors were Mr. and Mrs. Pruitt. They were an older couple, had been in the church all their lives, or most of their lives, and um, oh, how should I describe them? (laughs) Well, I'll be kind. They were our neighbors, and they were very active in the church. He had been on the deacon board. She was a deaconess. She was involved in the missions program, and they had been very active in their younger years. They were now older and not so active. But one Sunday, Mrs. Pruitt came to church, and as she came to church, she walked down the center aisle. to a building a little bigger than this, and she walked up. I don't remember exactly where, and she looked at a lady. This was before church started, and she said, you're sitting in my pew. True story. The encroachment of entitlement. This is my church. I've given tens of thousands of dollars to it. I've sat in that pew for 50 years. I got married here. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Um, or perhaps uh, you're a policeman or a policewoman, and you go to the donut shop, and you get the donut, and you get the coffee, and you walk out, and you don't pay because you say, well, I take care of this neighborhood. I protect you. The encroachment of entitlement. Or maybe you're a senior citizen and you walk into a store and you buy something and you leave and you realize, wait, they didn't give me my senior discount, in spite of the fact that you seniors are the most wealthy generation in the history of humanity. True. Um, what's another story I could get in trouble with? Oh, a friend of mine, true story, a doctor. He's an oncologist. And I said, Ben, how's it going trying to hire a new oncologist? And he said, I've given up. I said, why? He said, because when I talk to the young doctors that want to come in, they've never served anywhere. They're done with all their work and now going to full practice. He said, they want to make the same salary I'm making. And I've been at it for 30-some years. And he said, I can't find anybody that will start at what I think is a beginning salary. Now, we have a whole generation. I'm not going to get into this. I'm not a sociologist, but we have a whole generation that's called what? The entitlement generation. The encroachment of entitlement. Pastors are guilty of this. In fact, in our American Baptist ethics statement, it says we won't do this, but pastors often think, well, because I'm a pastor and it's so tough being a pastor and all, and you're a businesswoman and you ought to give me a what? A discount because I'm a pastor. The encroachment of entitlement. Um, you get the idea? I want you to think about that with me this morning, whether or not this is an issue in your life, the encroachment of entitlement. Now, let me come at this from a different direction. Now, by the way, psychologists and psychiatrists say when this is serious in a person, they call it narcissistic personality disorder, this thing that this idea that you're owed so much. Uh, let me come at it from a different angle. Um, let's talk about Complaining. Now, we confess our sins in church, right? We confess our sins in church, right? Thank you. Um, some of them in the back row, I'm not sure. But anyhow, I'm going to allow you to confess your sins publicly in church. You're okay with that, right? How many of you would raise your hand with me and say, you don't have to say it out loud, but by raising your hand, you you are confessing the sin of complaining, that you've complained at some point. I would expect all of us could raise our hands at this, right? Thank you for your confession. Now, I put up this little cartoon this morning that uh, I came across. This is a line. It says, complaints or gratitude. Or if I had been writing that cartoon, I would have said complaints or compliments, but you can see the complaint line is is a little bit long. Here's another uh, cartoon that you may want to take a look at. You know that this is the smallest violin in the world, you've seen that. When somebody starts complaining, you can kind of hold up your fingers and hold it like this, yeah. Um, Well, today I'd like to have an interactive sermon, and I want to talk to you about Luke chapter 17. There should be a Bible around you somewhere. It's a paperback Bible. I didn't look up what page we need to be on, but you can figure that out. Luke chapter 17, we're in the Gospel of Luke, and Luke was a doctor the Gospels are written, two of them by people who knew Jesus and two by people who probably had never seen Jesus. Luke likely had never seen Jesus. He probably came to faith through the ministry of the Apostle Paul, and he wrote this Gospel, the story about Jesus Christ. Now, in the section we're looking at, we're well into the Gospel, and Jesus is actually on a journey here. He's traveling up to Jerusalem. And in Luke chapter 17, we have this story that you all are familiar with. How many of you have been to church on the third Sunday of November? go like this. And you heard this story there, right? So you already know the story. So I'm not going to take a lot of time going over the story. Actually, I'm going to take some time going over it. But you're very familiar with this story because it's one of the favorite stories for pastors on the third Sunday of November. You'll understand better by and by. Uh, today I want to look at this miracle story. It's the only time we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. And I want to look at this story to ask you some questions and to kind of point out some things I think the story um, teaches us. But by the way, let me take an intermission here. Did you get a thank you card? Anybody not have a thank you card? If you don't have one, just raise your hand because I want you to have one. Well, the ushers did a fantastic job. Carol needs a thank you card. so. Thanks, Marion, for getting her a thank you card. This thank you card is for you to use. We're not going to collect it. But I would like for you to begin writing out some thank yous to God. As you think of things you are thankful for, you'd say, God, I'm thankful for. Just fill it out. Now, you, this is for you. We're not going to collect it. We're not going to mail it back to you or anything like that. But I'd like for you to be doing that during the sermon. Just go ahead and fill out this thank you card while we go through the story. Now, in Luke chapter 17... In the middle of the chapter, beginning with verse 11, we have a story of a miracle. And as we begin this story about the lepers, I think this story at least helps me to see that the world is filled with the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know the movie. And that little classic song, I thought about getting it and playing it for you, you know, do-do-do. I don't know how it goes. But the world is filled with the good, the bad, and the ugly. Now, why do I say that? Here's the scripture. It says uh, in Luke chapter 17, verse 11, on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered the village, uh, ten lepers approached him. Now, my question is, for us, who are the good, who are the bad, and who are the ugly? You're going to be a little uncomfortable answering it because you say, I like everybody. That's a lie. Jesus was from what race? Jewish. And Jerusalem was filled with people of what race? Jews. So Jesus was a Jew. His apostles were Jews. His followers were Jews at this point. In fact, Jesus said, I've only come to the lost house of the sheep of Israel. He had a Jewish ministry. He's on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. So if you were to read this text as a Jewish person, you'd say, Jerusalem, that's a great city, isn't it? It's it's a wonderful place. It's the city of God. It's the holy city. It's a wonderful place. It's a good place. Now, also, if you read this text, there's another place that Jews like, and that's Galilee, hometown. That's a wonderful place. So the good people are in Galilee. Now, it says Jesus is where? He's on the border between Galilee and the bad place, Samaria, where the half-breeds are, where those people who are not Jews live. Those people that we don't associate with live. Now, as you think about your world, I hope you would say, well, I'm around good people today. We are good folks, right? Amen. We're good folks. But not everybody in the world is good, and so there may be some bad folks in our lives, or even some ugly folks. Now, I was speculating. I don't know who, I don't want to offend anyone, but as you think about bad people in your life, or you just are sort of prejudiced towards some people, who might they be? I'm just going to throw some names out there because these are people that might be different from you. You might not like Canadians, for example. Or you might not like Mexicans, for example. Or you might not like people from India, for example, that work at the 7-Eleven store where you get your coffee. Or you might not like uh, Mormons, for example. Or maybe it's Muslims that you don't like. But uh, if you're honest with me, There are some people that in your mind, whether you admit it or not, you just think those are bad people, right? Now, in this group, that's the Samaritans. Because if you were a Jewish person reading this text, you wouldn't really enjoy reading the word Samaria. I don't go there. Now, the lepers are the ugly. They were literally ugly. I've never seen a leper but uh, they had sores that would break out on their body with leprosy, oozing sores. I've read that leprosy could be so bad that your fingers would begin to drop off. Can you imagine how ugly that would be? To actually see somebody whose sores are oozing, their clothes are filthy because they can't keep them clean because of the oozing sores. They didn't have bandages back then like we have. Their fingers may have dropped off. Their ears may drop off. They're hideous looking. They are ugly. Now, I don't know who you think are ugly in your world, Maybe it's um, Jehovah's Witnesses that knock on your door. Or maybe it's the homeless people you come by. Or maybe it's gay people. Or maybe it's straight people. I don't know who's ugly to you. But I, I do know that there are people that we in our world think are the good. And then there's those people. Right? Is that true? Those people. And as you look at this story, I've written out a miracle question. As Jesus went through this area, it is not an accident that Luke says Jesus is between Galilee and Samaria. Those are symbols between the places that everybody loved and the place nobody loved. And it's not an accident that Luke lifts up this story and he finds about the worst group of people he can find, lepers who can't live in town anymore, and he... In the story has us notice them because Jesus notices them. As Jesus comes through here for some reason, and they cry out, Master. This is only a term the disciples use in in Luke, but they use it here. They cry out to him, Jesus, we want some help. Give me some relief. And Luke highlights this story. It's the only place in the Bible you can read this story. So I just want to remind us that our world is filled with the good and the bad and the ugly. But the miracle question, and I hope you're following along in the outline, is this: Can you see the world with the eyes of Jesus? When you look out on the world, you see it through your own eyes. But will you allow God to touch your heart and your eyes so you see with the eyes of Jesus? Because Jesus saw people that He had made lepers, that sin, that uh, sickness, rather not sin, sickness had corroded their bodies, and His heart went out to them. He said, "These people have the image of God." just like the Samaritans. And Jesus cared about them, and we'll see what he did about that in just a moment. So if we look out on the world with the eyes of Jesus, we're going to see not good, bad, and ugly, but we're going to see like Jesus sees. So that's, that's the first question. Can you see with the eyes of Jesus? Now, as we go to verse 14, uh, we realize God is good. And when Jesus <clears throat> encounters these men, he has some things to say to them. In fact, the Scripture says when he saw them, he told them to go show themselves to the priests. Now, that's an odd statement. But you have to realize in that day, the priests were the health care officials. If you got leprosy, you had to leave your community. You had to move out of your house. You had to go live outside the city in a colony for lepers. And apparently here, they didn't care if it was Jewish or Samaritan lepers. So you go live away from your family. And if someone comes around, you were told to call out, unclean, unclean, so that they didn't come near you and be contaminated by your leprosy. Now, Jesus says to them, go show yourself to the priest, because if by some miracle of God your leprosy went away, you could not go home without first checking in with the priest, and he would pronounce you clean, and then you could go home. So it's a very interesting turn in the story here. Jesus said, well, just go, show yourself to the priest. And the idea here is as they go along, the Scripture says, as they were traveling along, they were cleansed. Can you imagine this? I mean, can you imagine being a leper? That's bad. I cannot imagine it. But just think of the worst thing you can think of happening to your body. Maybe your your sores are all over you. And my guess is, and this is just Steve's guess, Steve's speculation, but as they went along, I think probably in the inside they started feeling different. This health broke out inside, and then they looked at themselves and they looked at each other, and they saw the spots disappearing. they saw the sores draw, uh, drying up, they saw their skin becoming the the natural color it was It was beautiful, and I think some of them probably took off running towards the priest and said we 're being healed this is, Jesus is helping us and it was an amazing thing that had had happened to them. The Bible actually says about this healing issue it's, it uses the word catharsis a catharsis happened in them a cleansing happened in their lives um as they were going they were cleaned being made whole now uh, i need some help here i'm gonna these folks are guests you don't mind helping out do you it's boring to listen to me would you take some of these and just pass them out raise your hand if you're going to be willing to um hans would you pass these out for me raise your hand if you'd be willing to read a scripture And, uh, no, don't stand up and, well, Lucian, help pass them out, would you? Raise your hand if you'll be willing to read a scripture. Just, uh, we'll pass you one. There's a man in the back here, Lucian, come down the center aisle. Okay, that'll help me out. Um, Let me ask you a question. What do you believe about God? The God in whom you believe, and I assume you believe in God because you're in church this morning. Uh, Anybody else? They're all passed out? Well, great. Um, What do you believe about God? And I'm not talking about saying the right thing. I'm talking about deep down inside, what do you believe? In Jesus' day, people would look at a leper and say, you are you have leprosy. You know why? You're a terrible sinner. And they associated sickness with sin. We kind of do the same today. I've heard so many people in the hospital saying, I wonder what I did wrong to deserve this. Jesus said, well, it might be you didn't do anything wrong. Now, when I ask you what you believe about God, the point here is God is good. And I want to encourage you this morning that we have a good God. And we're calling this series, Looking Up in Down Times. And it's a tough time for a lot of people. But one thing I hope you know is that God is good. God loves you, and God wants to help you. God doesn't want to hurt you. And as we think about God, Jesus represents God, and he looked out to these lepers in desperate trouble, and he came into their lives, and he caused good. And as you turn your life over to Jesus Christ, he will bring good into your life because he's a good God. Now, in order to emphasize that, if you have one of those verses, I'd like you to stand up where you are and read it loudly, would you? And I don't care who goes first, but these are from the Old and New Testaments. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. I want to encourage you this morning. God is good. And whatever you're facing in life, as you look up to the Lord, you look up to a good Lord. Now, a little side note, guys, we lost. See how quick the women were to step up and serve and read these? And uh, uh, anyhow, let's move on. This story is really a, a story that can be broken into two halves. We're done with the first half. This miracle, the lepers were cleansed. God was good to them. Now, the second half is a little different. And I want to talk to you because as I read this, I read about an attitude of ingratitude. I asked you at the outset, has the encroachment of entitlement come into your life? Do you feel that? The world or someone or something owes you something. That's the encroachment of entitlement. Let's talk about this attitude of ingratitude. In verses 15 and 16, the Scripture says that one of these people came back praising God with a mega voice, a loud voice. It's an interesting word, a mega voice. That's literally the word. So one guy, as he's going along the way, sees that he's well, and he comes back to Jesus yelling, Thank you, God, thank you, and he falls at Jesus' feet and thanks Jesus. Now, it brings up the question of, of of a number of things. How many people were there to start with? Ten. How many came back? One. What percent is that? Ten percent. I've wondered about that. If there are 200 people in this room, I've wondered if about twenty uh, 10% of us or 20 people are good thanksgivers while others are not. I don't know. Uh, I've also wondered if maybe this isn't saying that one in ten gives thanks as a percent, but maybe as I think of my life... I think of this 10% rule, and I think, well, Joyce and I give 10% of our income, and there is the tithe standard that's the minimum you should shoot for. If you make more than that, you you can give because God's been generous to you. You can give more than 10%. There's that 10% rule in the Scripture. But I've wondered beyond that, does this really represent in my life God's given me a lot of blessings? I see a lot of goodness happening in my life, around me, in my family. I don't know about you, but I just feel God's goodness in lots of ways. Question. I wonder if I only give God thanks for about one out of ten items in my life, for which I could give thanks. You see what I'm going with that? It's just a curiosity to me. I want to read you a story. I love this story. Some of you have heard it. Um, it's by Maya Angelou, or Maya Angelo, and she's talking about her grandmother. She said, "When my grandmother was raising me in Stamps, Arkansas, she had a particular routine when she would use whenever a whiner would enter the store. She ran a store." Whenever she saw a known complainer coming in, she would call me from whatever I was doing and she would say conspiratorially, Sister, come inside, come. And I would come, of course. My grandmother would ask the customer, How are you doing today, Brother Thomas? And the person would reply, Oh, not so good. There would be a distinct whine in the voice. Not so good, Sister Hernandez. You see, this summer, it's so hot out here this summer. I just hate it. Oh, I hate it so much. It just frazzles me up, and it frazzles me down. I just hate it. It's so hot. I hate it. It's almost killing me. Then my grandmother would stand stoically, her arms folded, and mumble, "Uh uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And she would cut her eyes toward me to make sure that I had heard the lamentation. Another time, a whiner would come in. I hate plowing. That packed down dirt ain't got no reasoning and mules ain't got no sense. I sure hate plowing. It's killing me. I can't ever get it done. He would go on and on. My hands stay sore. My dirt, the dirt gets in my eyes. The dirt goes up my nose. I can't stand it. And my grandmother would stand stoically and say, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. And again, she would look at me to make sure I was listening. As soon as the complainer was out of sight, my grandmother would call me to stand right in front of her. And she would say the same thing she had said at least a thousand times. She'd say to me, Sister, do you hear what brother so-and-so said or sister much-to-do complained about? You hear that? And I would say, Yes, Mama, I heard it. Sister, there are people who went to sleep all over the world last night, poor and rich, white and black, but they will never wake up again. Sister, those who expected to see the sunrise did not and their beds became their winding their beds became their cooling boards and their blankets became their winding sheets and those dead folks would give anything just anything for 5 more minutes of this weather or 10 minutes of that plowing that the person was grumbling about so you watch your sister self sister about complaining what you're supposed to do when you don't like a thing is to change it and if you can't change it change the way you think about it don't complain Now, I put in your outline the little quote that she had to wrap that story up. But uh, I like this cartoon as well. I don't know if you can see that red tag on a hand grenade. It's got a number one on it. Uh, I'd like to find where that box is at. But uh, anyhow, complaint department, please take a number. Uh, Well, I'm sure you don't complain. I just want to remind us all that we can end up, if we're not careful, with an attitude of ingratitude. And the Bible says that we're not to be anxious about everything, but... in About anything, but in everything with prayer and petitions and with thanksgiving to make our requests be known to God. Don't be anxious about anything, but with everything with thanksgiving, talk to God. Now I want to check in. How are you doing on the cards? You filling them out? Trying to. Uh I better preach longer. (laughs) I'm going to go till you get them done. I don't know. Uh, Well, let's look at one more thing that I think this story brings out. Oh, before we get there, um, on this attitude of ingratitude, the question for us here, the miracle question is a prayer. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. In fact, I think that prayer is a great prayer to pray a lot. Would you pray it with me? Let's say it together. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Let's say it again. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. For the sin of ingratitude in my life, because so often I don't go back, and say thanks for the good things that are going on in my life. Now, one more thing. As we look at this Samaritan, he's the one who came back. In verses 17 through 19, I put it this way. Appreciation brings salvation. Why do I say that? Well, because this man came back. He fell down, and he thanked God. He thanked Jesus. He was very happy, and he said thank you. That's a good lesson. But then the Scripture says to end this story, That Jesus said to him, your faith has made you well, W-E-L-L. And the word Jesus uses is the same word Jesus uses elsewhere for being saved. This man's body was made well. He had a catharsis, a cleansing. But that's not all. God touched his spirit. God touched his heart and changed it, and he was spiritually saved. And you could translate it that way. Your faith has saved you. It's made you well. You are really well now. Your body is whole, and you're spiritually whole. This man had gratitude. Um, The the last miracle prayer question I would say that we could pray is is the simple two words, thank you. Thank you. And that that ought to become a part of the fabric of our life all the time. I want to do two things to wrap up. You got these cards done? Oh, yeah. Somebody's quick to say, there's somebody sharp over here. We're done. He said, okay, what I'm going to do in just a moment is, some of you read scriptures a moment ago, if you have something you've written on this card that you'd be willing to share with us, just one thing, I'd like you to stand and say, thank you, God, and then just express what your thanks is for. So I'm going to give you a chance to do that in just a moment. But I came across some fabulous quotes on gratitude, and I want to share them with you, and then we'll have your expressions of thanks. Someone wrote, and I don't know who it was, said, hem your blessings with thankfulness so they don't unravel. An Estonian proverb says this, Who does not thank for little will not thank for much. And a Christian writer named George Herbert put this poem together. Thou hast given so much to me, give me one more thing, a grateful heart. Not thankful when it pleasant pleaseth me, as if thy blessings had spare days but such a heart whose pulse may be thy praise. And I have several from the English writer G.K. Chesterton. He said, I would maintain that thanks are the highest form of thought and that gratitude is the happiness doubled by wonder. He also wrote this. You may say grace before meals. All right. But I say grace before the concert and the opera and grace before the play and the pantomime. I say grace before the opening of a book and grace before the sketching of a painting or swimming or fencing or boxing or walking or playing, dancing, and grace before I dip my pen in the ink. He also, I love this one, he also wrote, When we were children, we were grateful to those who filled our stockings at Christmas time. Why are we not grateful to God for filling our stockings with legs? Wow! And a German pastor wrote, uh, Meister Eckhart, if the only prayer you ever say in your entire life is thank you, that's enough. And then one last one. Listen very closely. Earl Musselman wrote this. The sun was shining in my eyes, and I could barely see to do the necessary task that was allotted me. Resentment of the vivid glow, I started to complain when... All at once upon the air I heard a blind man's cane. Are you thankful to God? What are you thankful for? Would just some of you share your time of thanksgiving? Stand up and read one thing you're thankful for. Ted's going to have the mic, so I'll pass it off. Thanks, Ted.
1: Thank you, Savior, and all prayers for making me able to be here. We are thankful, <clears throat> me and my family, for being able and privileged of God to go to Indonesia. And now we see the fruits of our labor. There are four churches in Jakarta, capital of Indonesia, and other pastors that I have taught. I praise the Lord. I will not be silent because it is to His glory. So, I praise the Lord for the followers of Islam, some of them to come to the knowledge of the truth. Thank you, Lord, for helping me to get safely through the Pasadena Marathon traffic today and get to Bible class and church. Thank you, Lord, for incredibly good health at my age. I thank God that when we go through really tough times that we have this church and the people that we know are supporting us and giving us hugs and love, and I really appreciate that. I thank you, Lord, for allowing me to uh, travel worldwide and to worship you through a recovery program on a worldwide basis. Thank you very much. Lord, thank you for the many blessings in my life. Love, family, home, food, jobs, pets, and my church family. thank you for 61 years with my wonderful husband. God, I thank you for my amazing kids and for my husband who keeps loving me even when I don't deserve it. Thank you, God, for being a U.S. citizen. Thank you for my choir family, for Ted, for Paul, and for Alan. Um, Thank you, Lord, for blessing me with a great family and keeping them safe. Thank you, Lord, for eyes to see and ears to hear. Let's all sing together. Thank you for healing me. Thank you for healing.